Well, good evening, everyone. Welcome to Talk Gnosis After Dark. And we are continuing our discussion on the Gospel of Thomas. Joining us tonight, as usual, is Bishop Peterson, as well as our producer, Father Tony. Hey, Father Tony, how are you? I'm great. How are you guys? Good. Doing good. Doing good. It's, uh, we had some uh, <laughs> we had some issues leading up to our recordings tonight. If it's not one thing, it's another. Those archons. That is the case. Yes, those archons. Damn them. Yeah. So uh, yeah. So uh, I really enjoyed your uh, discussion today of the of the eleventh Logian of the Gospel of Thomas, and and we had been talking about this one for literally months. Um, mm -hmm. because it's been a while since we did our last Gospel of Thomas uh, series. And this one is a tricky one. Mm -hmm. it's, it's absolutely complicated and um, deeply symbolic. And, uh, and, and, <laughs> and I think that I think it was, I think it's a bit intimidating, but I'm, I'm glad we did it. And I'm, I'm glad we get to talk about it a little bit more tonight. Absolutely. Well, you know, I think it is intimidating because, um, you know, again, it is one of those passages where, you know, we are placed with some riddles that you really don't see that same type of thing being, I think, really present in some of the other um, verses within the gospel. Yeah, but at the same time, a lot of this, this same, these same symbols show up in other places, even in the, the Gospel of Thomas. Mm -hmm. So you've got mm -hmm. the the symbol of the the symbol of light, right? And that shows up. That's constant in the gospel of thomas um the symbols of dead and living and and two and one and things like that so it, this one doesn't necessarily stand alone even though we're treating it <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah. as a as a vacuum it, it really does have a um has re have relations to the the whole rest of the gospel mm -hmm. it does so um a couple of things i made notes about while you guys were talking um first of all so this heaven will pass away and the heaven above it will pass away and all that stuff and the references to the canonical gospels. I think it's interesting to note that in the ancient world, um, especially in the Hellenic world, there was a, uh, an understanding of the, the cosmos that was, you know, uh, geocentric. The, the earth was at the center of the universe. Um, and there were various numbers of heavens. So in this mm -hmm. particular passage, we're talking about two. Um, but a lot of the Gnostics would have counted as many as eight mm -hmm. um, uh, physical, I guess you'd say, or, or cosmological heavens, and a ninth that is beyond it. Um, you look at all kinds of various Gnostic scriptures that refer to the spheres, and they're talking about the spheres of these heavens that surround the planet. Um, they, they're talking specifically about the planets, so the seven classical planets plus the eighth sphere of the fixed stars, or, you know, the zodiac and the other stars. And then the, the ninth heaven that's outside of that, that, um, that would have been the pleroma, you know, you'd have the limit and then the pleroma. So uh, I thought we might riff on that for a minute. Do you guys have any thoughts on heavens? That's what, so what I thought of, actually, when, when uh, you were talking about this heaven and the one above it. I was mm -hmm. kind of thinking of the planetary heavens and the sphere of the fixed stars, the, the, ah. the zodiac. So the, those two sets of heavens would pass away. And that that could be you know the thing is I'm looking at Leloup's uh, take on it now his his translation is this sky will pass away and the one above it will also pass away. Um, yeah, I don't I don't yeah, think that's it, what it means. I I don't know maybe. Yeah. Um, I'm also going back to the canonical scriptures which heaven and earth will pass away, mm -hmm. um, which seems right. a little closer in. I you know I I this. It merits more study. It merits more study, but um, it's it. Not every heaven is going to pass away. <laughs> well, I think Father Tony though brought up a, a good point. I, I think, kind of looking in the context of, of the time that it was in, and specifically, what their understanding would have been of, of the heavens at that point. Not necessarily our understandings of the heavens today, but. You know, what would a first century Gnostic's idea of 
head and spin on. And uh, I would um, have to say, yeah, I think they're probably talking about um, both kind of the immediate heavens, you know, uh, that which is above the earth and probably the star universe is what they would comprehend um, would sort of be kind of my take on it. Yeah, it's interesting that you mentioned that because um, at Conclave uh, two weeks ago, uh, Alan Salmi gave an interesting uh, presentation. He's been on our show before, and, and he yeah. gave an interesting presentation on um, on astrology. Uh, and one of the things that he mentioned that stuck out in my mind, I mean, I've never really had a problem with the geocentric version, uh, you know, versions of astrology. It never really bothered me. I never really thought much about it. Um, <laughs> but he said that, you know, even if you understand the planets to be, uh, you know, the, the cosmos to be the way that science tells us how it is, you know, the, with the sun at the center of the solar system and the planets go around it, but the, the solar system is part of the, this galaxy and that's moving and the universe is expanding and all that stuff. And that's, that's all fine and good, but from your own perspective, from your own point on, on Earth, everything does revolve around you to a certain extent. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So that when you look at these things in terms of, in the symbolic terms that the ancients would have looked at them in, although maybe they did or maybe didn't think of them in symbolic terms, maybe they thought of them literally, but I think there's value in thinking of them symbolically where you are the center of your own particular universe and this, the fixed planets move around you on the earth. Hmm. That is inter that, that that that's an interesting way of thinking about it. I I, I know Alan, and, and I'd like to talk with him more about that. Um, but you know, we, we, what struck me is you're talking about to a certain extent you are a center of your own universe because your consciousness is usually centered within yourself. Mm -hmm. And in fact, even in a very mundane way, we talk about our sphere of influence. Um, you know, this idea of the sphere around us that we can influence the people that we know and, and that sort of thing. So um, that, that's, a, that's an interesting way of thinking about it. Now, I'm wondering then for, for a, a modern Gnostic, is that an appropriate seat of consciousness such that um, we're the center of our own universe? Is it possible for a Gnostic to take that consciousness outside well, um, that one will pass away, and the one above it will pass away, right? Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. No, I think I think that's a good question. I think it's yeah. a it's a good point to consider. That one thing that I often say is sometimes I get in trouble for is, you know, the the tools of the world are, are the things that we have to transcend the world. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So yes, at a certain point, you're hoping to transcend that point of view where you are the center of your own little universe, and going to have a more intimate awareness of the the oneness of everything and that mm -hmm. you won't necessarily be in the center of that but at the same time you will also it's kind of an interesting yes yeah i don't know what the word i'm looking for is but it'll be interesting nonetheless what happens if if you understand this path is one of a reintegration, you know, integrating back with the one, what happens along that process? How far out of your sphere, so to speak, or your, your heavens do you get? How much more distant do you get? And then what kind of perspective do you have at that point? Uh, occasionally, I, I've, I go on YouTube and I, uh, I've seen... Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. <laughs> and I'll, I'll look at um, astronomy stuff, but I'll look at uh, I'll look at um, people who have kind of gone into space and they're looking back on Earth. That's kind of a different perspective. Um, and so, what would it be to be able to develop oneself so that your consciousness is no longer here, but can be somewhere beyond yourself, and and, and as you travel toward. The one. I think that was, that's an interesting question. I don't, you know, I don't drop acid or anything like that, so I can't <clears throat> entirely say that I know what that would be like. But um, it may be a different, a different way of thinking about it. I mean, I'm often aware, living in Chicago, uh, for example, living in a big city with a lot of crime. I'm often aware um, that, gosh, my the way I'm living right now, my reality is completely different than somebody a few miles south of me. 
Sure. And um, that there's all this going on, some you know mayhem and murder and a, an intense amount of suffering. But I'm the center of my own universe, and right now I'm in my nice little apartment. Um, what would it be? What you know? For me, prayer to a certain extent can be one way of m moving beyond my center of the universeness. Um, we've talked about prayer as a discipline before on this show, and I think that that uh, perhaps that being deeply connected to the suffering for which we are interceding might be one way of developing that consciousness, but not the only way, as Bishop Canterbury pointed out, the idea of um, actually getting out there and doing charitable service um, is something else that can be done as well. But I think there are different ways that we can force ourselves out of ourselves. Mm -hmm. Those are just a couple. Yeah. Did you read Monsignor Rossbach's blog post from today? I have not had the opportunity to do so. Okay. He he just posted it this morning um, on on the subject of service. So, uh, mm. you know, Google that for you listeners. <laughs> yeah. I don't know what else to tell you. Oh, it was on the uh, the Rose Cross Community Parishes uh, website. So. Oh. Okay. Go 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 look for it there. Um, in a complete kind of non sequitur, I I. Uh, I was thinking on on my drive today. Uh, I was thinking how how very much uh, you know physical organisms we are. I mean, I know we don't often like to think of ourselves in terms of you know we're like we're animals just like all the other animals that walk around on the planet, but we really are. I was driving along the highway and I was thinking, you know, if someone were up in an airplane looking down at these highways as I was a few days ago. Um, it really would look like the kind of the trails that ants would make, you know, as they walk through and, you know, the you know, ants walking us on a line and, mm -hmm. and, you know, we, we do, we form those same patterns, whether, you know, just on a, on a larger scale and then patterns are formed on an even larger scale than ours, uh, by other things and other, um, not just organisms, but other uh, planetary bodies and things, and these these paths that are formed, um, it, it completely irrelevant to our current discussion. But uh, you know what what does it look like when somebody isn't taking one of those paths? Do they disappear completely from a larger point of view? Or you know, I was kind of thinking of it in terms of the archons and whatnot. So I haven't really give, you know put it in into any complete thoughts yet but <laughs> that might be a vlog post later on if i ever no. do one again yeah you do excellent vlog posts i, I, I would like to hear a little bit more now i i'm not sure that i fully understand you father uh, i'm so not you... sure i fully understood okay me, so. <laughs> I just, want, just want to make sure that I, I i'm not as stupid as i think i am sometimes um, i just rattled off like six things all at once to, so you're talking about like people taking paths well you know we like the 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 paths that we create as organisms, you know, that okay. we create these these patterns and not just physical paths, but we all have these patterns that we recreate over and over again. Oh, yeah. And uh, a lot of that is just due to our, our meat brains and the patterns mm -hmm. that are formed in our meat brains. Uh, and, and part of, I think, part of the Gnostics' uh, obligation is to recognize and deal with those patterns that we create yes. um, in, you know, in a, in a more spiritual way, whether that's uh, to break the patterns or to at least approach the patterns more consciously. Mm -hmm. Or to at least rec or to, to recognize the patterns that we've, that we've yes. taken on habits that may, may be bad for us, that may be restrictive, um, but, the, but these patterns dominate us. They rule us. We talk about archons again, the rulers. With it, that we can be ruled by these patterns to no good end. I mean, in some cases, they may be perfectly decent patterns that let us function, but they also function in a great state of sleep. What would happen mm -hmm. if we did something? If we did something, might that jog our memory about our origins, who we really are? Um, so I think that, you, that that's an interesting point. I, I'm thinking about this, Father Tony, because. I remember I used to live in a neighborhood, and there wasn't a whole lot of public transportation, but I would go out for walks, but I always walked in the same direction. Um, I went to the end of the block and went right. And it one day I decided, wait a minute, I'm always going right. Why don't I go left? And it was hard for me to do you that fell initially. fell into a giant hole and... 
No, but what happened was that it was it was very interesting because I discovered in a completely different neighborhood. I've discovered new shops, new things to look at, and it was and there was no reason for me to not to turn left. But I got in this pattern, and I had really limited myself by only turning right at the end of my block. Yeah, and I've, I've thought about that over the years. So I think I think you're on to something. I mean, also talking about paths, and we brought up uh, Monsignor Rosbach earlier. He and I were having a chat. I hope he doesn't mind me saying this. The interesting idea that he had. And we're talking about angels and spiritual entities and how they see us, and that that maybe you know they don't have eyes like us. Maybe they see us very differently. And he offered up the idea that maybe the angels see us as very long, large worms. That in a sense, you start out as a baby. And then you've got yourself at your time at your time of death, but then there's all this there's this person continuously developing in between there, mm-hmm. and um, that would be that would be an interesting way if somebody sees somebody outside of time. What would that look like? What would that? How yeah. would that look? And I liked his worm idea um, because one of the things that he said is that maybe um, angelic beings. Uh, don't understand our concerns because they're seeing a, a different part. They're, they're aware of all the sections of the worm when we see ourselves as being completely isolated in this moment right now. This is the center of my universe here and now, and we don't see anything else. Yeah, that's very interesting. It, re- it reminds me of one of my favorite movies with gnostic themes, Donnie Darko. Have you seen that? Mm-hmm. I have not. Oh, I do recommend it. It's uh, it's very good. It 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 has a very similar kind of understanding of the way that people move through time. Oh, okay. So uh, it actually it represents it in the movie with this kind of silver um, worm-looking thing that comes out from the center of your chest and goes, you know, travels through the world in the direction that you're going to travel in. Um, it's it's kind of a weird surreal movie at points so but it, it definitely definitely interesting to, well to... it's funny that you mentioned that uh, there was a big evangelical uh, um, music festival down in central illinois and they had some they they had a film festival and they pushed the boundaries a lot for an evangelical festival and they showed donnie darko once and this resulted in a protest <laughs> um, wait wait evangelicals protested yeah, there was a bunch of evangelicals protesting other evangelicals outside the tent, singing something about Jesus being the light of the world, and everybody was having a heart attack, and it was all over the internet, and it was it was. But Donnie Darko created a a huge kerfuffle uh, at this massive evangelical music festival. So I'm I'm just I should that think out. so. It's a movie about not accepting the world as you're told. <laughs> well, the people who ran the film festival loved it, so there you go. Well, it's a good movie. What's not to love? Yeah. Well, now I got to watch it, and then maybe we can discuss it on the show. Yeah. Sounds good. Yeah. Yeah. I also wanted to bring up that the. Uh, let me get the quote in front of me here. Um, the dead are not alive, and the living will not die. Um, this one for me, and maybe. Uh, I this one for me is is a pretty easy one, and maybe that's my, you know betrays my my lack of understanding, but. Um, Throughout the Gnostic scriptures, not just the Gospel of Thomas, but in a couple of others, and many of the others as well, um, they really kind of break people up into two, sometimes three, obviously, categories. There's mm-hmm. the, the knowers, the Gnostics, and everybody else, right? Right. And very often the symbol for everybody else is the dead. Dead, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So the dead are not alive and the living will not die. So to me, that means that those people who aren't, Gnostics and they're not in our club and they you know don't know the secret handshake they're not gonna you know they're not going to see the resurrection or the kingdom or whatever it is but we will and we mm-hmm. won't die because of it mm-hmm. yeah I mean that 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 did occur to me when I read that which is one of those things um, you know we, we, we get into certain terminology but which admittedly I understand that my egalit- my tendency toward egalitarianism is certainly not consistent with what the communities who produce these scriptures would have uh, held um, but it's like it reminds me of you know going back and calling people who are not Gnostics the lizard people um, <laughs> you know either you're a lizard or a human <laughs> well that's okay of- that's what the conspiracy theorists call us yeah yeah <laughs> Um, I, I think that that's a perfectly. Um, I mean, that, that that did occur to me, 
your when your interpretation, Father. Um, so I, I I can understand it completely. Um, you know, there may be a way of understanding it that that you know. The dead are not alive and the living will not die. Is it possible for us to have both the dead and the living within us? Well, I think so. I mean, I, I always say that the three divisions of humanity that the Valentinians would would have, you know, that they all talked about, the Hylic, Psychic, and Pneumatic, you mm -hmm. know, that I don't think that those are hard and fast divisions uh, that, you know, you're, you're born into one of those castes. You know, or, or whatever it is, and the Sethians had it too—the seed of Seth and the, and the repentant souls and, and all those things. I think mm -hmm. that these are states, you know, states of being. That yeah, absolutely. A lot of the time, I am a very high-like person, but every now and then, I I have the uh, the the grace to be a pneumatic, but you know, very rarely. And but you know, sometimes I'm in between. Sometimes I'm one of the psychics. Mm -hmm. You can yeah. call me on my nine hundred number. <laughs> We can call you Miss Cleo. <laughs> well, only if you buy me a drink first. <laughs> oh. oh, I didn't need to hear that. <laughs> uh. So what are you drinking there, Father Tony? <laughs> a giant mug of water. People, <laughs> people watching on the stream, uh, you know, our Patreon supporters can see my giant mug of water. <clears throat> Just one of the many advantages of being a Patreon supporter. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so I, I was interested, however, in your interpretation of, or I guess it was Dr. Meyer's interpretation that this, uh, th there's a piece missing out of this. Yeah. Um, can, can you recap that in case people didn't see the video? Yeah, certainly. Um, and I'll just start again. One of the real frustrations that I had with this passage is that there, it seemed disjointed. It, there was seemed to be something off with the passage. Now, um... Dr. Meyer, in his uh, commentary, um, suggests that we compare Hippolytus' Refutation of All Heresies 5.8.32 5 um, Apparently, Hippolytus is saying, uh, talking about the Gnostics, and he says, So they say, if you ate dead things and made them living, what will you do if you eat living things? Um, so there's a, there's a more complete understanding there. And then it goes, he goes on to mention, um, as he says it in the, in the light of this citation from Hippolytus, it is possible to imagine. So Hans Martin Schenke in an unpublished note that the original wording of the saying may have been as follows during the days when you ate, what is dead, you made it alive. Now that's the beginning. That's in the text. Then we have in, in brackets, when you eat what is alive, what will you do? During the days when you were in the darkness, you saw the light. And then that's that part that they're suggesting might have been originally in that teaching. And then it goes on with what's in the Gospel of Thomas. When you are in the light, what will you do? Um, so what he's basically saying is that this, this teaching, uh, uh, verse 11, may sound odd because there is, in fact, a teaching in there that is missing. There's text in there from the original teaching that was missing. Yeah, so there's an... I don't know if there's a lacuna in the document at that point. Um, it would be interesting to see. I know there are some interlinear... Um, uh, like some photocopy, or what do they call that? Um, I don't know. Some scans of the original documents where they tell mm -hmm. you what's actually, you know, what's actually missing. So maybe there is an actual hole there. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. But I mean, but even if there isn't, I think that there's a. This comes out of a living tradition. There was a group yeah. of people who were using this, and mm -hmm. I think that maybe that was something that they already kind of knew and understood, and this was shorthand to them. You yeah. Know what I mean, like. During the days when you ate what is dead, you made it come alive. Remember, like that stuff we were talking about last week, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I think that that's one of our biggest challenges as modern Gnostics is we have a lot of these texts that were that were being used by people in groups. They weren't yeah. just published and, you know, go ahead and use it and, you know, and, and buy it, buy it from, um, you know, what would it have been, uh, Amazon uh, BC or something. <laughs> but... Uh, <laughs> You know, this, so this would this would have been part of the teachings of a group that had an oral tradition that this was just a very small part. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so we have a real 
challenge when we try and use these texts in a modern setting that, you know, we are actually missing out on a lot unless you study, you know, that time period extensively. And the scholars who do um, don't necessarily understand these texts the way that that people who use them in a spiritual sense would, too. So there's yeah. there's a real kind of disconnect. Mm-hmm. It's a it yeah, and I, I thank you for bringing that up, Father, because it's it, it's it certainly is a frustration. It probably even more of a frustration for those of us who are modern Gnostics, uh, although it's not an uncommon frustration for more Orthodox Christians uh, who have to deal with similar issues, particularly when they're dealing with epistles uh, that were part of a correspondence and they're lacking most of the correspondence. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's that's a real issue. Um, when it comes to interpretation, um, but in our case, when you when, you, when there appears to be actual gaps, or you have just fragments of texts, that makes things even 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 more complicated. And as as Father notes, um, the communities would have their own understanding that they had built up, and we don't know what was being taught that was not being written down. Mm-hmm. You know, what, what kind of instruction was going on in, in that way as well? I'm sure it was happening. We know what happens today in our own churches. Yeah, um, and I mean, and these these are the – these are groups that valued secrecy. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we, we have all these uh, references to secrets. And in fact, I'd like to talk about that also in a, in a little bit afterward, maybe after we're done with this point, because April DeConnick talks a lot about that in her, in her book that you mentioned earlier, um, that – you know, the, these are groups that valued their secrecy and, you know, would not have written it down. And a lot of the ancient Gnostics were like that. Yeah. And we don't have it. Yeah, we don't. And and, and I, I'm going to throw something out there. Um, yes, it might have been helpful for us in understanding some of these texts that we've recovered over the years. But would that information really have done us that much if we, even if we had it would it do us that much good today or is it our responsibility to develop our own teachings that's a very good question um i mean for me personally i you, every now and then you'll hear a story of somebody who is trying to recreate sethian gnosticism you know and I, <laughs> I wish them the best of luck, but I, I, I wouldn't want to do it. Yeah. Um, the Christianity doesn't look, excuse me, <clears throat> mainstream Christianity today doesn't look anything like it did, you know, fifteen hundred years ago. Right. These Don't are, tell them that. <laughs> well, no, I think they'll admit it too that it's a living tradition that it has these, you know, the the times change and the church changes with it. And that's always been true. And so I don't think, and my point, I guess, I don't think that the ancient Gnostics would have expected, even if there, well, I don't know what they would have expected. If there had been an unbroken line of Valentinian Gnosticism uh, to the present day, I'm sure that they would look back on these texts and say, yeah, okay, so these are our ancient texts, but in the meantime, we've learned this, this, and this, and we've done this, this, and this. And of course, you know, Revelation is still open to them, which it isn't in in the mainstream Christian traditions. So who's to say that somebody couldn't have come along and written a whole other gospel, uh, you know, in the year 350, uh, and then somebody came along in the 1200s and wrote another gospel and... You know, so these things, I think, would have had the character of a living tradition right, in the very mm-hmm. same way that the mainstream church has. Sure. Um, yeah. I, Is I, that I, your question or did I go way off topic? I, I don't no, I, mean, I, think, I think that that's fine. I, 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 it's, it's one of um, – it, it's – okay, we have this information that these folks came up with a while back um, – and we've talked a little bit in the past about canon here. You know, are there books in our personal canons, like Philip, some of Philip K. Dick's material or that sort of thing, that have a, a, a direct impact on our spiritual development and our gnosis? I, you know, it's, I'm, I'm wondering if um, focusing too much, and I, I'm not saying that we shouldn't study these scriptures at all, but I'm saying if, if it, bothering ourselves about 
about these scriptures and moaning about not having only having fragments is that the best use of our energies or is there something else that we can develop beyond that uh, I by no means have any desire to recreate Sethian Gnosticism and nor do I have any desire to channel a gospel on my own oh I, do. Um, I would love to oh well good I put the, I'm putting that out to the universe right now I if, think you should put it on the Patreon campaign. <laughs> if we get it up to $600 or $1,000 per episode, Father Tony's going to channel a new Gnostic gospel. Wow. <laughs> All you right. heard it here first, folks. Uh, I'm not going to do that, by the way. Mm. Uh, <laughs> oh, but it's so much But actually, I'm, no, I'm being serious, though. I, I think that um, I, I think that, that kind of revelation is open to everybody. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that, you know, if... if uh, if I am ever put in a position where um, Sophia or the Holy Spirit or whatever uh, happens to think that it's important that there's something else to say, I'd like to volunteer. Okay. <laughs> Y'all hear that, right? <laughs> it, well, God, God, that brings up a whole entire other series of discussions that I don't know would be, uh, you know, in line with this, uh, but, uh, you know, uh, concerning. Uh, other prophets, other teachers, other uh, traditions that have had uh, um, newer gospels, if you will. Um, you know. Yeah. Well, I mean, the LDS Church is famous for having an open canon in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they they don't believe that Revelation has finished. Um, and Pentecostal churches don't. Uh, there, there Do they also? Of, I didn't know that. Yeah. Oh, yes. Number of char- uh, they they would certainly prioritize the Bible as the Word of God. But uh, many charismatic and Pentecostal churches do believe that there are modern-day prophets, people who can give word of knowledge, um, and they will treat these words pretty seriously. Now, there have been some scandals surrounding that sort of thing, but prophecy, offering up prophecy is um, quite common. The other thing that's not uncommon in Pentecostal and Charismatic Church is that a person speaks in tongues, gives a message in tongues, and then somebody comes along and interprets that message. Hmm. And I mean, I, I have a friend, for example, um, she tells a story, told me the story. She was in church one day and she had a message to deliver in tongues. And if somebody had wanted to do that, they would have to stand with their back to the converse, congregation. They would speak into a mic and give the, the speak in tongues. And her, her pastor came forward and said, now in our congregation, we don't accept messages in tongues unless there's an interpretation. I have the interpretation. And he gave the interpretation. Um, so that's a practice that is still going on in some, in some pretty much still mainstream Christian churches. Pentecostals and Charismatics are part of the mainstream now. But that, does, that practice does still occur. Hmm. That could be a whole show. Maybe we could find some Pentecostals and talk about it. I think that'd be great. Now, I, I will say, if I may, I've been reading a book recently um, by my friend uh, Kanaz Filan and his co-author Raven Caldera. It's called uh, Talking to the Spirits, Personal Gnosis in Pagan Religion. And it's, it, it deals with, it, from a pagan perspective, not from a modern or classical Gnostic perspective or from an yeah, Orthodox Christian perspective, but from a pagan perspective, uh, communicating with spirits and entities. And so far I'm finding it to be a good read, so maybe if uh, we get the Patreon campaign uh, funded to the point where we're starting doing book reviews, maybe we'll, uh, I'll do a book review online about that, because it's, it's proving to be a very interesting read. And the pagans have a different cosmology and understanding of of things, but they're offering, it seems to me, some pretty good ideas for developing personal gnosis hmm. and communication. So. I haven't read anything by Kanaz Filon. Is that Filon? Is that how you pronounce it? I've always said Filon, but, Filon. Fi- but you know what? I, I've known him for 20 years now, and I... I don't have much use to cause to use his last name. So yeah. Um, uh, yeah. Well, I like I say I haven't read anything uh, by him, but I have heard a lot of people uh, respect his work. Um, so that's uh, that's interesting. I'm I'm looking forward to hearing that review. It's on uh, it's on Scribe, by the way, for for reading. Oh, so okay. um, you can you can certainly get it on Amazon and, and buy it, but you can also read it on Scribe. Um, people who and, give their books away for free on the internet are foolish. 
<laughs> well, it's not for free. They're, 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 they're get, they're, there's a licensing on oh, there. Oh, okay. All right. I was making a joke because my book is free. I know you were because I know your book is free. But they'll actually, if you do subscribe to, to Scribed, and just, it's just a shout out to our user, to our uh, listeners. Um, Scribed is an online book service. Uh, while there's a lot of free documents that have been uploaded, there are also a lot. Of, there's also a lot of premium content, and for nine dollars a month. You can read the backlist of many significant publishers, including uh, Inner Traditions and Red Wheel Wiser. And so there's a lot of books on uh, 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 Gnosticism, the occult, esotericism that are available for, for reading. And it's $9 a month for the whole freaking library. Um, yeah, it's like Netflix so for books. Yeah. yeah, and and you have and you can read as many as you want. It'll actually uh, they, they it'll keep the bookmark for you. I read it on my iPad. It's pretty awesome. So just letting you know. Yeah, I've been on Scribe for many many years, long before they had this uh, this this service. But I think that this service makes it even even more worthwhile. S C R I yeah S C R I B D dot com mm -hmm. for those who are sitting at their computers wondering how it's spelled. Uh, Father Tony, if I can uh, maybe steer you back uh, bef uh, at the beginning <laughs> Why of this. start now? <laughs> <laughs> um, but you had given maybe some insight on uh, on Connick's book regarding part of the scripture. Yeah, um, so her book, Seek to See Him, um, mm. I think it's got a subtitle, something like Ascent Vision in the, Nos the, the Gospel of Thomas or something like that. Um, really really interesting scholarly work on the gospel of thomas uh she does i think a pretty good job of identifying the sources from from the from where we get the gospel of thomas and it's largely hermetic um and uh kind of um well largely hermetic in a, in a christian context and not specifically gnostic and we we lump it in with the gnostic gospels because it's very useful to gnostics uh, because of all the plato and all of the uh, the hermetic stuff but um it is it doesn't contain a lot of things that the other gnostic scriptures would contain um Mm -hmm. That doesn't mean it wasn't used in those communities. It's just this is, you know, the the original source of it was probably a Hermetic Christian group. Mm -hmm. um, okay. Now the the premise of it is that the Gospel of Thomas represented uh, the work of a community that practiced visionary ascent, um, which means that before the person would die, they would have to undertake these these visionary quests kind of things these these meditative visionary um ascents where they would travel through the various spheres uh overcome the various archons of the planets that inhabited these spheres and it, in doing so clear the way for their soul to ascend back to the pleroma on their death or you know the the ninth heaven or whatever it happens to be mm -hmm. and so uh she points to a lot of these um these sayings in the, in the Gospel of Thomas as clues as to how they would have been, they would have used, you know, the, the questions and answers. She uses specifically uh, Logian 50, and I know I'm jumping ahead several weeks, um, but Logian 50 is, is a bit of a, a question and answer kind of catechesis. Um, that would have been used as a passphrase or as several passphrases. I'll read it to you real quick. If they say to you, where have you come from? Say to them, we have come from the light, from the place where the light came into being by itself, established itself and appeared in their image. If they say to you, is it you? Say, we are its children and we are the chosen of the living father. If they ask you, what is the evidence of your father in you? Say to them, it is motion and rest. So <clears throat> what she posits is that these are the questions that the archons would pose to the soul of the person on the way through the spheres and the mm -hmm. answers would be you know we have come from the light so on and so forth so these are the passwords to get through the secret gates um and that people who don't have these passwords will get tossed back down into matter to be reincarnated and that, but the people who can pass through aren't stuck in that cycle of rebirth so 
um, Bishop Canterbury, you mentioned, you know, uh, something about um, the questions that would be posed to somebody, you know, mm -hmm. in, in relation to uh, to our thing today. Um, you know, when you're in the light, what will you do when the two become when the, on the day that I'm sorry, on the day when you were one, you became two. But when you become two, what will you do? So, mm -hmm. again, these questions are being posed um, as a kind of catechism as a kind of way of either identifying the um, other members of your community as a, as a bit of a secret password kind of secret handshake stuff or mm -hmm. to pass through these, these spheres of the archons. So if you haven't read this book, I recommend everybody who's listening, stop whatever you're doing right now, go and get mm -hmm. it and read it because it is one of the most important books I think for modern Gnostics to understand what Gnosticism actually was. My, you know, what, what little I've read of Professor DeConnick's work, what is of interest to me, what I appreciate, is she seems to treat, she takes the Gnostics seriously. She takes them as people and as a community seriously. They're not caricatures of heretics or weirdos. Yeah, and you'd think that would be the norm among scholars studying Gnosticism, but you'd be yeah. wrong. Yeah, and, and not to say, of course, that modern Gnostics aren't heretics and weirdos, um, but uh, it seems to be. But, but we're a lot more than that. <laughs> <laughs> but we're, we're fun heretics and weirdos. And we've got functioning communities, and we do cool things like talk gnosis, and and, and we, you know, anoint the sick and and baptize children and and things like that. But we're we're living, breathing human beings, and Deconic actually seems to understand this. And uh, I think that it speaks a lot to certainly her, her scholarship, but also perhaps who she is as a human being. Yeah. It's a generosity of spirit. Um, yeah, absolutely. That I'm detecting. Yep. And in addition, she's wicked smart, as we say up here. Yes, she is. Uh, yes, she is. And she teaches at Rice, and Rice is a very serious uh, religious studies department. Mm -hmm. Very serious. <clears throat> We were supposed to have her at the Joe and I conclave in, in 2009, but she had a sick kid and couldn't end up coming. So that was, it was very disappointing. Uh, I hope we can, we can have her back again or have her back for mm -hmm. the first time <laughs> yeah. at some point in the near future. Because I think that, I think that she'd have a lot of, she'd obviously have a lot of interesting things to tell us, but I think that she might learn an awful lot of, about modern Gnosticism from us as well. Sure. Interesting. Yeah. So, um, you know, what, one of the things that I did bring up, I mean, you were talking about, you know, the, the possibility of passwords, but I, and we've, we've talked a little bit about how we can understand scripture on a number of levels. And for me, um, what slapped me in the face when I was reading this was the constant question, what will you do? What will you do? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that this may not be the core message, and it may have been understood differently in that community, and I don't want to take away from that. But I think, uh, Bishop, can you alluded earlier about a little bit of devotional reading of the scripture uh, mm -hmm. and its importance? And I guess this is, what, for me, it's one of those cases where, yeah, I can look at the various resources on this, and it's very, very important that I understand what scholars agree or argue uh, that this text means and its significance, but also the importance of devotional reading. Mm -hmm. uh, because it really, as you yeah, I said, put a light bulb above my head. Okay, I'm not being told what to do. I'm, at, I'm being asked the question, what will I do? Mm -hmm. I think it's a question um, that I need to ask myself more often. So if we want to talk a little bit about how we read these scriptures, I would say that um, while I do agree that people should develop an academic understanding of what what this was all about, what what it, the original community might have intended with this, um, devotional reading is also important. Yeah, well, the the I don't remember the categories, but in in Kabbalah, the uh, the rabbis teach that there are four ways to read scripture and i'm guessing at what they are and please correct me on the internet if i'm wrong but i think that there you can read them in a literal sense in an allegorical sense in a moral sense or in a symbolic sense mm -hmm. um, again i'm not entirely 100 percent on those four categories but i think they're good categories nonetheless um 
Yeah. Uh, I think on on one hand, yeah, absolutely, we can read these scriptures literally, and mm-hmm. I think that a lot of people do. And certainly, we see a lot of that, um, a lot of that in America, especially today. <laughs> you see a, an awful lot of people who only want to read the Bible in a literal sense. Yeah, and, and that's fine for most people, except that the Bible has a lot of weird stuff in it that maybe you shouldn't <laughs> read literally. But I'm not going to necessarily tell anybody to their face that they shouldn't do that. Um, but I think that in, a, in an allegorical moral sense, there's there's a whole other level that you can read these. Um, you know, the the woman at the well from the Gospel of John, right? You can mm-hmm. you can read it as uh, Jesus is really calling out this woman for having five husbands and what a jerk, or you know Jesus is talking about the five senses or something else that's uh, you know more allegorical, and then there's the whole completely kind of abstract <coughs> symbolic way that you can understand the scriptures. Um, the Book of Revelation is a, is particularly good for this, you know, mm-hmm. and, and I think that. All of those approaches are valuable and have, mm-hmm. uh, you know, have have their uses, um, and none of them should be ignored when yeah. you're when you're reading scripture. Yeah. Um, you know, I think that there's an there's a tendency among modern Gnostics to say, "Well, we understand what these things really say," and the mainstream Christians don't get it. And, you know, eh, maybe you do understand something and maybe they understand something else and, you know, they might not necessarily line up or, uh, or even be compatible, but there's, uh, there's common ground to be found there if you want to. Mm-hmm. Well, I think kind of the key point, though, that you brought up there is, you know, we're maybe one particular body may think that their knowledge or gnosis of a particular subject may be exclusive. But I think the truth is in many times, whether we're looking at scripture from a literal point of view, from a symbolic point of view, um, metaphysical, um, is that sometimes it's not, for me, it's important um, to see kind of all of those differences, but maybe those areas that are in between that, okay, I've got this and I've got this, but what is that area in between now? And how does that come into play from, let's say, it's it's literal meaning to a more symbolic meaning? And, um, you know, where's the truth that lies in between there? Mm-hmm. Um, that, I think, is kind of the difficult part when one starts to contemplate these particular scriptures is um, trying to find that middle ground and finding that own truth and that voice within. Um, You know, you had mentioned kind of jokingly, maybe not so jokingly earlier, about uh, throwing up to the universe of maybe channeling a gospel. But I think, you know, the truth can also be said of interpretation of scripture and uh, and finding its meaning is that we've got to make ourselves open for it Mm-hmm. But I don't think we're necessarily open for it if we've kind of um, fit ourselves into a particular box and we don't want to look outside of that yeah. particular box, you know? It's what I was talking about earlier with our, you know, our meat brains creating patterns. Yeah, you sure. Know, we're very comfortable in our patterns. Absolutely. I mean, that's the point of them is to, you know, not so we don't have to think about new things all the time. It's mm-hmm. a, you know, it's a survival mechanism as as creatures that if we had to reconsider Every decision that we make all the time, you know, we'd never get anything done. So when we make decisions, we file them away so that the next time we are faced with a similar decision, it's already there. Mm-hmm. But, in, in this, yeah, sorry. Well, yeah, but that also poses a, its own set of problems uh, when, you're, uh, when you're trying to deal with the world in a new way. It's often hard to do. And it can also be, as I said earlier, it can also be just incredibly limiting um, when when you, you 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 when you get ruled by the tool. I mean, the, the, the creating patterns, as you as you mentioned, Father, uh, can be a very useful tool in just managing day to day life. Mm-hmm. Um, but you don't want the tool to rule you. You want to be able to use the tool. Yeah, it can also be a very useful tool when creating your spiritual life as well. Mm-hmm. 
you know, you can use that same mechanism that your brain already does very well to mm -hmm. create new habits and, and yes. new patterns that are more beneficial for you so that, you know, when you wake up in the morning, you do 20 minutes of centering prayer or, you know, whatever it happens to be, you use that tool that creates the patterns to create patterns that are, that are good for you. Yes, that are positive. Um, you already have that, and if you can just shift it a little bit. But also I think it's important to keep in mind that it, new stuff can often be uncomfortable for people. Mm -hmm. And um, it, it's, you know, you see somebody who, you know, has the same hairstyle for years. They go out to the salon, they get a gorgeous new haircut, and they hate it. <laughs> and everybody's telling them how great they look, and they're miserable and, and, and all that. Well, the, the difference is, is that you're just getting, you're seeing yourself in a new way. Mm -hmm. uh, but that, for some people, can be incredibly uncomfortable. And I think that, um, as Father points out, that, that the process of, of using the tool of, of, of forming patterns can, when you're moving those patterns, when you're making some changes, uh, that can be a painful experience. And so it's important for folks maybe to, as we've talked about, have some accountability, either with a trusted friend or a spiritual director, um, uh, or to just you know, maybe set a time frame for doing this and then just keeping with it even if it is uncomfortable. And if it proves to be something that is harmful, well, that's one thing. But the willingness to at least try something and commit to it and just to see, can you, in can you integrate this into your life, uh, might be a good approach for people. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, we are approaching our hour. Would, would either of you like to make any final points before we shuffle off? Um, other than to once again thank Father Tony for two years of uh, Tocnosis and your leadership and the work that you've done, um, you know it's very much appreciated. And now that we're doing this after dark po after dark podcast, you know we're just expanding uh, the mission of Tocnosis, and we want to thank you. Yeah, thank you so much, work. Father Tony. Well, I appreciate that. It was uh, done entirely for selfish reasons, so I could talk to cool Gnostics. Uh, <laughs> so. <laughs> You know, uh, it has been a, it has been a journey uh, these two years. It's certainly had its ups and downs, but um, it, there isn't a day that goes by where I regret it. And I am uh, I'm I'm grateful to both of you to that you stepped in and and uh, and helped me out when I needed it, and, and you know made the show even better. So well, thank you, and um, it's it's been a real privilege, been a real privilege, and I'm looking forward to doing more. Absolutely, absolutely. Yep. All right. Well, uh, once again, a reminder that you can support our Patreon campaign, patreon.com slash Gnostic. And uh, by doing so, you, you can get access to these podcasts as we record them live. You can actually ask your own questions and, uh, you know, make fun of us and, and make faces at us and things like that. And, and, uh, and we certainly appreciate your support and we would love for you to make faces at us. Uh, and you can sometimes see our cats and dogs, too. Oh, yeah. Occasionally. Yes. Occasionally. <laughs> That's one of the main benefits of being a Patreon supporter. <laughs> Speaking of which, one of mine is coming here right now to say hi. Oh, how nice! Well, we'll leave the stream going <laughs> after we stop recording, and uh, uh, all of our all of our uh, live viewers can watch. All right. So anyway, uh, thank you once again for all of our viewers and all of our supporters, and we will see you all next week. Take care, everybody. Good night, everyone. Bye. This has been a production of the Gnostic NYC Network. For more information on this and all of the Gnostic NYC Network's programming, visit GnosticNYC.com. This podcast has been released under a Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 4.0 International License.